It is <clears throat> Thursday, the 5th of May 2022, and in our broadcasts, this is broadcast number 308. And uh, today we will talk about uh, chapter 2 which is Al-Baqarah, verse 100, and uh, this is the first broadcast in that uh, series of talking about chapter 2, verse 100. Just to remind you that uh, these broadcasts are brought to you by the Lahore Ahmadiyya community, which was founded by Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmed. And uh, his teaching was that although other people say that uh, after the uh, Holy Prophet Muhammad, at least one more Prophet will come. But the Holy Quran says that the Holy Prophet Muhammad was Khatmun Nabiyyi, seal of the Prophets. And the Holy Prophet explained its meaning as being La Nabi Abadi. There is no Prophet after. So now no prophet can come, whether an old prophet or a new one. Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmed's claim was that in accordance with the Hadith, he was a Mujaddad or reformer. And his distinction was that uh, the Messiah and the Mahdi that the uh, Hadith speaks about, Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmed was that Messiah and Mahdi. He also taught that uh, other Muslims have a habit of jumping on uh, the declarations of heresy on smallest disagreements. But the Holy Prophet Muhammad had said that if one reciter of the Kalima Calls another, resort, uh, calls another reciter of the Kalima a heretic, a kafir, then it is the caller who is the heretic. So it's worth re remembering that. People also say that uh, some prophetic revelation is missing from the Holy Quran or uh, uh, is cancelled, but Hazrat Mirza 
Ghulam Ahmed said that God has said in the Holy Quran that I have revealed it and I am its uh, guardian. So nothing can be missing or cancelled from the Holy Quran. And most of all, Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmed taught that jihad is a fundamental duty of every Muslim. But jihad is defined by the Holy Prophet Muhammad. Other people say jihad is take the sword and cut off the heads of non-Muslims. But the Holy Prophet, when returning from fighting, said Muslims were returning from the minor jihad to the major jihad and then went on to explain that the major jihad is the struggle to control your own inner self. So let us now turn to today's topic, which as I said, is Al-Baqarah chapter 2, verse 100. Avakullama ahadu ahadun nabadahu fari'um minhum Bal aksaruhum la yuminun Is it that whenever they make a covenant, a party of them cast it aside? Nay, most of them have no faith. So the first expression really, I mean, in, in the, the words in Arabic, I suppose, are not uh, words in the sense of uh, uh, English. So this has three segments, three letters have been added to it. There's R, which is for uh, uh, the negative, and uh, there is Va, which is and. So both of these may are made a part of Kullama. Now the the root of Kullama is Kaf, Lam, Lam, and uh, this uh, occurs in the Holy Quran. 377 times and four words made from that occur in the Holy Quran. And uh, the most often occurring word is Kul that occurs 359 times. And then you have Kullama uh, that occurs 15 times. So, as to its meaning, for uh, Urdu speaking people and so on, it's quite easy because Kaf, Lam, Kul means everything. 
and depending on the context it could mean you know like everyone in a in a football team so if you have something then all the con constituent constituent parts of it that make it up this word will apply regardless of you know uh, what their what their gender is so uh, I mean, sometimes people say it means that uh, one thing that encompasses encompasses something else and all of it and it's also uh, applied to mean uh, an attorney representative uh, a problem newly created problem an orphan and uh, uh, someone who has a family in addition to being uh, it also applies to someone who's a burden the holy quran in chapter 16 verse uh, 76 i think uses uh, the word in this uh, uh, context who were and he's a burden to his master and it also means to tire uh, etc and interestingly there, there are long discussions about what this means um, because uh, it is used with the word nasab. Nasab refers to um, a person's lineage, lineage upwards and downwards, from parents, grandparents, and down to kids and, and uh, grandkids. And uh, uh, the verse speaks about someone who has lost that nasab and then because it's in the context of succession and, and inheritance there are long discussions about uh, what does it mean does it mean you know does it include everyone and everything uh, because as i said cool includes all the constituent parts of something so if you have a family all its constituent parts will be grandparents on both sides and parents and uh, grandchildren uh, etc so when this word is applied to the family then what does it mean that this person doesn't have anyone in the family no grandparents no parents no children and, and uh, so on and this discussion then, you know, in the context of other uh, expressions in the Holy Quran about inheritance, then carries on. Um, for example, uh, uh, it is generally believed that uh, if a person dies and that person's father is alive, then obviously because this person has died he's not inherited anything from his father so if that person has children 
they don't inherit anything from the grandfather. The argument is that uh, their father would have inherited something from the grandfather and then they would have inherited a part of that from their father, but father died. So, you know, that means the grandchildren don't inherit anything. But um, the Lahore and the community and, uh, and others, not just us, believe that this, this is most unjust. That God, that God should deprive these children of their father and also the inheritance that they could have had from their grandfather. So what, whether the father is alive or not, um, sorry, when the father is not alive, then what he would have inherited should, have, should be distributed amongst the grandchildren in the proportion that they would have received uh, this. But because this is a technical legal issue relating to uh, inheritance and so on, there are long discussions uh, about this and court cases and all this kind of thing. Um, and the discussion continues, it, it's not been decided. Although I understand that uh, someone was telling me that uh, in, in the Pakistani law of inheritance recognizes the Lahori the interpretation uh, of this. Uh, and uh, it has rejected the, uh, the usual uh, interpretation that was uh, put on these verses of the uh, of the Holy Quran. Uh, the next word was Ahadu. That consists of uh, two segments. The first three letters Ahadu and uh, then the last two which are uh, kind of a personal pronoun. So the first three have uh, the root ayin, ha, and dal. And uh, we find it in the Holy Quran. Sorry, all the words made from this root that we find in the Holy Quran are 46. So, uh, <clears throat> 29 times uh, we find the noun Ahd and 11 times um, we find uh, Ahada and 6 times Ahida and this means a promise, a covenant a contract as a verb it means to make a contract etc so 
What does that mean? Al-Ahdu means to guard something, to keep an eye on it, to protect something. And that is why um, a firm promise, an oath is called Ahdun, which means that which needs to be observed and protected, etc. Uh, and uh, the Holy Quran greatly stresses this. For example, وَأَوْفُوا بِالْأَخْدِ إِنَّ الْأَخْدَ كَانَ مَسْقُولًا Chapter 17, verse 34 And fulfill your promises. For you will be asked, you will, you will be judged about how you fulfill your promises. And we should remember this, we talk about uh, implementing the Sharia and uh, this and that and so on. A lot of the Holy Quran doesn't need any legislation to implement its commandments. Why do you need legislation to do what is patently obvious? Which is if you make a promise and keep to it. And God talks about His promises. La Yanalu Ahdiv Wali mean chapter two verse hundred and twenty-four. And as far as the unjust are concerned, they are not included in God's promise. Waman Ofa bi ahdihi minallah. And who fills their promises more than Allah? And interestingly, in chapter 20, verse 115, the Holy Quran also talks about taking a promise from Adam. And we took an oath, we took a promise from Adam. Now there's a lot of argument about this. What does that mean? Does it mean Adam, the first man created? Adam, the first promise, the, 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 Adam, the first prophet of Allah? Or does it mean the whole of humanity? You, me, everyone. I believe that uh, uh, this means that God had taken a promise from the whole humanity. So you might ask how? You might say, well, this applies to Muslims because when you become a Muslim, then you promise Allah that these are the things I will do or not do. So you make a promise, but how did I make a promise as a Christian or a Jew or whatever else? 
And there are people who argue that by putting in humanity the ability to judge right from wrong implies that humanity has been bounded by a promise not to do the wrong things. So this ability, this characteristic that every human being has, it doesn't matter what your religion is, if you steal, you know you've done the wrong thing. If you hit someone on the head because you're angry, you know you've done something wrong. So this ability to judge is a promise that you will be able to judge the right from wrong and you won't do the wrong thing, you'll do the right thing. And it can also stand for God's commandments made incumbent upon us through his revelation, etc. Um, it can mean the religious devotions um, which are not duties but people do extra good out of the goodness of their heart. And this goes back to the ability that every human has to distinguish between right and wrong. Um, for example, you know, you might say, okay, yes, you should give charity, but, uh, you know, I'm extremely well off, so what I will do is I will give more charity than strictly recommended because I can afford it. And it will help, I don't know, the homeless, the hungry, the whatever. And God also, this is what God is saying when God says he'll judge you, he'll ask you about the promises you've made. But there's another very interesting thing in this saying of the Holy Prophet Muhammad, which is uh, unanimously regarded as being correct by all the other, all the different compilers of the sayings of the Holy Prophet Muhammad. It says that if you enter into a treaty with someone, you know, I mean, like Muslims, they went into Jerusalem and then they entered into a treaty that in return for a defense tax, they'll protect them and so on. So, uh, um, and, uh, you know, this was written down and signed and so on. Uh, and uh, these 
this is in hadith that you know if you enter into a treaty with uh, anyone then fulfill that that we're talking about between muslims and non-muslims and so on that uh, you know we will protect you uh, etc for such a such period one year two year etc now the interesting thing is that the Holy Prophet Muhammad entered into a treaty with Christians. You're talking about the duration for which a treaty will last. And uh, this treaty says that this is a treaty between Muhammad, the Prophet of Allah, and the Nazarene community and its duration is till the end of time and any Muslim who does not obey it shall be regarded as a transgressor and a sinner. Now you see that is a treaty between the Holy Prophet. I mean, there are many other things. The treaty says that uh, um, if a church is in need of repair, then Muslims will repair that church. Muslim government will repair that church at its own expense. If there isn't a church, then the Muslim government will build for the Christians a church at its own expense. Now, the, the, these things are never mentioned, that this is a treaty. And, uh, you know, the, the, and the Holy Prophet says that anyone who does not abide by this treaty is a transgressor. And you can extend that and say that, well, uh, the Holy Prophet Muhammad was only in contact with Christians and Jews and so on. He wasn't in contact with Hindus and uh, etc. And by extension, by interpolation, you can apply this to all religions. But Muslims don't even apply it to the Christians. And uh, another interesting thing is that uh, uh, it also means contract, the contracts that you make. You know, you buy a house or a horse or a car or anything really, even if you go and do grocery shopping, you are making a contract. But some contracts are verbal and some contracts are written. Now, interestingly, in Islam, the Holy Quran says, if you enter into a business transaction, then it is best that it is in writing and it's witnessed by two people. So, uh, and if you look at British law, there are some um, trades which are not legal unless they are in writing. 
sale of property. It's not legal, it has to be in writing. You can't do it by word of mouth, uh, etc. etc. So this there is great stress on fulfilling your promises to Allah. That's understandable, but there is also great stress on fulfilling your promises to human beings as well, to everyone. And I fail to understand when people say, you know, oh well, if government implemented the Sharia. Well, what does it mean if government implemented the Sharia? The Holy Quran says, fulfill your promises. The Holy Prophet Muhammad in Hadith says, fulfill your promises. So, fulfilling promises, speaking the truth, is a part of the Sharia that you can do. No legislation is required. Why do you need legislation before you say, we'll speak the truth or uh, we'll uh, um, fulfill our contracts and, and, and so on. So, with that, I take my leave of you with the prayer that whoever you are and wherever you may be, may Allah keep the whole of humanity safe and sound and free from harm. Assalamu alaikum, khuda hafiz and goodbye.